Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Dr. Mariana Figuero and Allison Thayer of the Lighting Research Center. And they came into the virtual studio to tell us all about their new online software program, with which helps distributors. That's right. They're bringing it right to the streets, which helps distributors and other lighting dorks like me who aren't scientists provide systems that can add wellness and health to to people's lives. Can you believe that? It's coming out hot. It's on their website. That's right. But before we get there, you got to know first about the original with the end focus coming in hot. It's energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com, baby. That's energyfocus.com. What are they coming out with? They're coming out with their end focus LED tubes, man. Fully dimmable. Color tuning. Retrofit them into the existing fixtures. What are you waiting for, son? That's right. You got to go to energyfocus.com. This is the hottest product out there right now. It's fully ready for the retrofit market. Don't back down. Get after it with Energy Focus. That's right. And of course, Energy Focus is and has to be, had to be a proud member of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's NAILD.org, baby, nail.org. But for right now, before we get started, get excited, get ready. Here we go. Healthy lighting on Get a Grip on Lighting. Welcome to the welcome back, Mariana for Dr. Mariana Figueroa, and along with her research research researcher from the LRC, LRC Allison Thayer. Hi, hi guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? Hi, great. Yeah. So uh, Greg's going to start us off today. Um, exciting news from you guys. Um, Greg, why don't you get right into it? Well, it's more you guys get into it. Tell us about this new website you put together. Okay, I'll get started and then I'll just uh, uh, let uh, Allison get into more of the nuts and bolts because she really deserves all the credit for the work. Um, so the, the the overall idea for coming up with that website was really um, uh, give people uh, what to ask for. So these are, and, and Russ Leslie, who was the associate director of the LRC, he actually did those patterns um, in books when like in the 80s, 90s. And the whole idea is you get general patterns of homes or whatever application you're talking about. You design the lighting. So it gives people an idea of what to ask for, for designing lighting for certain spaces. So obviously when Russ did that in the 90s was focused on energy efficiency. So we said, you know what, why don't we do something like that more for combining the visual system with the circadian system and letting people know what to ask for. How do I design a space for vision and circadian? Um, what kind of fixtures do I need? Uh, what are my options? Can I use direct indirect? Can I use recessed downlight? Which one is better? Which one is more energy efficient? Which one gives me better circadian effective light. So so the idea was really to translate all the knowledge that we had into easy patterns for um, the user to, to be able to um, know what to ask for and get some ideas of what to do. The other idea that we had too is if a manufacturer wants to get that, obviously we're not endorsing any manufacturer, so we tend to be agnostic in, 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 in terms of what manufacturer to do what. 
But if there's a particular manufacturer that want to use that website and then populate that with their own products, they can do that, right? They can get it and say, all right, here's how my products fit that design. That was the other idea that we thought would be a great marketing opportunity for people because they can say, I mean, again, we're not endorsing anything, but they can go ahead and, and do something like that. So that was the other kind of idea of, of putting something like that together and providing um, some of the, the information and the background. So I'll let Allison add to anything. Uh, yeah, so I, um, I start from the beginning, basically the whole, the whole process and the mindset of working through the website. Um, I had worked as an intern part-time while also taking classes at the, at the LRC. So I worked a lot with the older website. And a lot of what was missing, I found, was what I was learning in the classes. Um, so I was able to use this to approach the development of the new website in two ways. I would um, take the learning and the knowledge of the subject while also thinking about teaching how uh, or using it to teach people who are new to the topic. Um, and I found this really helpful when creating the structure of the new site to be used as a learning tool. Um, so that's kind of the, the whole mindset I've had going into it. And the, the motto I've been kind of using and the approach of the design is to connect the dots between the research that's ongoing at the LRC, um, all the stuff we've been doing, how to educate people on what we're doing, um, and then the application into real world designs. Um, we've done a lot of, uh, we do a lot of mice and human subject studies, and we bring people into the lab and have really controlled studies to better understand light's impact. Um, but now we're moving more into how to apply that into real designs, um, the built environment, um, and branch out and to do field studies. So we're trying to uh, bridge that gap there. And that's really been um, kind of the mindset going into it is reaching out to many different people, people who don't know anything about lighting and people who work with it every day and how to um, make it more circadian effective for these designs. So that's the Right now you guys have you have senior care and office uh, applications and it sounds like you're going to have healthcare in schools are you do you envision this going to every application that's out there i certainly do yeah um, we're working on um, healthcare and uh, schools right now we've been doing a lot with that um, but just you know seeing how light impacts a bunch of different user types um, i really can see it branching out into that um, and that's and that's kind of the goal is this website is flexible and you can add to it. And um, we're really hoping to keep uh, doing more research on it and then being able to fill in those spots as we go along. The, we went to a, um, a horticultural lighting conference in October. And what was interesting about that conference was it, there was almost a, I don't know what the right word is. There was almost a, um, a meeting of the minds between manufacturers, academia, contractors, and then farmers. And it was, you know, a lot of cannabis, but it, w it was the first one I went to that wasn't completely dominated by cannabis. They were talking about growing strawberries and uh, leafy greens and other things that, you know, people can use light to grow. But there was like this sort of agreement amongst four areas of the business, the customers, the contractors, the manufacturers, and, and then, you know, the, the scientists. Do we, at this point, I guess this one's maybe more for, for Dr. Figueroa, um, 
the the what you're recommending is there solid peer-reviewed evidence that this is the right way to um conduct the the the, um you know to create atmospheres and lighting systems that will actually help humans live better yeah and um i think the answer is yes um uh, there are uh, peer-reviewed studies um and we have done field studies other have done field studies i think you know the reason why we started with the aging population because i think this is the one that it's the easiest one in the sense that that's a space where you can control your 24-hour light and dark Mm -hmm. and that's where you get the best results it's when you really know what are you getting during the day and what are you getting at night because it is really a 24-hour light and dark okay so that's the reason why we started there because it was an application that we're very comfortable with and we are doing a lot of work we just got a paper accepted um late last year we have another paper in review now and we continue to do the work in this area and i think it's a very extremely um sort of i'm very comfortable with it in terms of 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 the peer review when it comes to offices i think there's a huge potential but i think that showing these things in offices is a lot harder and and i can tell you a lot of people ask me um is it going to improve productivity this is not what we're claiming we're not claiming it's going to improve productivity. What we can say is you get brighter days and dimmer nights or darker nights, you sleep better. And we all know you have a good night's sleep, the world is so much better than not having a good night's sleep, right? Um, so I think that the claim that we can make is that this pattern will help you sleep better. And by the way, just as a as a sidebar, um, and I'm actually we're writing an article um, and we're also going to write a technical paper. We just did a, a survey you might have seen that we did during the COVID time, a survey of people because they're all working at home. We had over 700 respond responses from the survey, people responding it. And we were asking them basically how much time do you spend outdoors and how mu- how bright is the environment you're spending during the day? And we see a beautiful correlation between the brighter, the longer you spend time outdoors. So if you spend at a minimum one to two hours outside and the brighter the environment you spend indoors, the better you sleep, the less anxiety you have, the better mood you have. It was beautiful, all the results going there. So I think it's very clear, more light during the day equals better sleep at night. And that is really the sort of the core of the, quote unquote claims that I think we can make and that we are hoping that this website is achieving. More light during the day equals better sleep at night. Now, let's get into that light a little bit. Um, We've heard um, sort of, we did a show with, um, uh, what's his name, Zimmerman? Uh, I can't remember his first name. Scott Scott Zimmerman. He was making the claim that the lack of infrared spectrum um, in lighting systems is, is an issue. Um, and it's, it's a fundamental issue. Uh, he, he, there's, there's other claims that color temperatures, um, that, you know, different times of day you want other color temperatures. I noticed on the website, you could choose a fixed color temperature, or you could choose to have a, a tunable system that changed throughout the day. Um, what do we know about the spectrum of light and which, 
and and that at different times do we know for sure that at different times different spectrums are better and that in let's do the spectrums first then get into the infrared dr figure so um you know i one of the things that we've been saying a lot is that i think people talk too much about spectrum hmm. and honestly there's so much you can do with spectrum in terms of its effectiveness on at least i can tell you on the circadian system okay um, you have probably, if you go for a white light source, if you go from a 2700K to a 6500K, you get about twice the effectiveness. Now that sounds like a lot. If you bring your light source closer, you wipe out that effect just by increasing the light levels, okay? So obviously, why do we talk a lot about spectrum? Because that's what manufacturers can play with, right? And can manipulate and so on. Um, so. I, th there is one part of the research that I don't think anybody has really delved into it on the tunable part of, of the spectrum, which is really, um, do we like that? Do people prefer an environment Great question. tunable yes. or not? Okay. So when I say spectrum, it's probably not a big deal for the circadian. I'm talking about the effect on the circadian system, but I'm not discussing, do I like it? Do I not like it? Do I feel better because it's changing? And, you know, the, 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 the brain may be looking for that change. And, and I don't think we have enough data there to say one way or the other. Okay. Um, so, so I think that spectrum, and that's why we have on the website, we have a fixed and we have a changing spectrum. Because if you don't have the budget to do color tuning, which a lot of schools don't have, a lot of nursing homes don't have, that doesn't mean you can't have that circadian effective solution. You can, and that's why we wanted to be agnostic with regard to the technology, because you can. In fact, we have a project right now with the Swedish Energy Agency in Sweden, and I don't know if you guys have been in Sweden, but I am telling you, do not present a 6500K light source in Sweden. You're gonna be beaten up. I mean, mm -hmm. they, <laughs> they love the warm color. Sweden, mm -hmm. they don't love 3000, it's like they, uh, Interesting enough, they love the daylight too, but indoors, it's all warm. So we're doing a project where we're developing with them and evaluating a fixture that delivers that circadian stimulus and it's 2700K and you can do it and you can do it energy effectively. It's a matter of how you distribute that light, okay? So what I would like to see people is thinking beyond spectrum. Spectrum is just one component. And hopefully that's what the website really is showing mm -hmm. is you can do it with a fixed, a fixed schedule with a fixed spectrum. You know, well, the schedule has to change from day and night, but you don't have to have that color tuning. If you have the budget, it may be that the environment will be more interesting. But you do so need to have it dimmable is that correct like you're saying uh, when i read through it everything looked like it was either color tuning and dimmable or, or just dimmable you need to have a way either dimmable or um turning it off but you you do have to have uh, a way to provide brighter during the day dimmer in the evening that is a minimum yep. that you have to do that's correct now okay and Go you go ahead. ahead, finish your thought, Greg, and then I'll, like, mine can wait. Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, Marianne, I, I listened to your, uh, or LRC's deal on future of lighting, and you talked about you think lighting in general is going to be brighter going forward. 
and a lot of what we're talking about is is brightness and light levels is that going to negate all of the energy efficiency that we've done over the last 10 20 years in lighting is to make it all brighter now well i mean we have one advantage leds are so efficient Right. Um, so right now, even if you make it brighter, you're still meeting the codes and so on. Obviously, this is going to this is going to end eventually. You know, the Department of Energy or, you know, the energy codes are going to get stricter. Um, but I, I really think that um, it is more than energy. And, um, you know, Bill McDonough had that triangle of equity. Um, was it? Triple E. Uh, I'm not going to remember everything, but it, one of them is it's the the people, okay. And I think that if you if you put in a little bit more energy, because you're making people feel better, it's worth it. The second thing that I think it's really important, I think we 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 exploit that um, on the website is it doesn't have to come from the ceiling. You, can, you don't have to get all that light coming out of the ceiling because you're absolutely right. That may be inefficient and it may be glary, right? Because it may become too bright. So you need to start thinking about light sources that you can put close to the people. I mean, what I, I think I mentioned every time I give talks, I mentioned one of the most successful applications we had was a light table for Alzheimer's patients. Why? They sit around tables all day, they look down, a perfect way to deliver the light. So what are the ways? We're, we're all looking at that screen. Why don't we come up with something that goes around that screen? Why don't we come up with something underneath that screen? You know, so pay attention to what people are doing in the environment. Be creative. LEDs now, you can create anything. Think about partitions in your offices. So I think that integrating the walls, integrating the surfaces, all of this becomes a way for you to do away with the energy efficiency issue. And in fact, we have an analysis there that if you have a blue LED um, that it's embedded in the space, it's very energy efficient. The, so the energy argument, like I want the bean counters out of the lighting business um, because, you know, We've carried the load for energy efficiency mm. in the world for Absolutely. a long time. And, um, you know, as an industry, as a, from the science perspective, it's been focused on that. And all of the mitigation of energy use has been contributed by lighting. And I'm not saying that, I mean, sure, there's 5% somewhere else, but it's, you know, one of the things about energy and the negativity surrounding energy use um, I think that's another thing that has to go because the problem in countries that have economic problems is that there is no energy or energy is limited. So they have I, inter intermittent energy. I completely, uh, completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, we have been, we have been so, first of all, lighting doesn't get the credit for everything that it has done for mm -hmm. energy. Right. Mm -hmm. If you ask anybody, if you ask anybody in the Department of Energy, you know, what contributed most for for energy efficiency? I don't think lighting is going to be on the top of their list because they don't even think about it. Nope. And second, what's the point of doing that and then sacrificing people in the built environment? I mean, I always I've been saying over and over again, we are in very dim spaces during the day. We tend to talk a lot about light at night. But I think what we have is too little light during the day. 
We just need brighter spaces. If the water industry uh, accomplished the levels of efficiency that the lighting industry has, there would be no water problems anymore. Um, So, you know, uh, and in terms, you know, I could go on about energy for a long time, but what I wanted to ask you is, is there's, there seems to be like these two um, shooting stars that are going to crash into each other and one's going to blow the other one up. And that is this idea that what people need and want is to be able to control their lighting. Okay. So this idea that, you know, you have an app on your phone or you download it and you come to your office and you set the lighting the way you want it. And the other is this idea that the lighting should be set to a certain level in order to uh, aid in circadian, um, people's circadian rhythms, and then also to cue them to certain things. So cueing was very fascinating. We did a whole podcast on cueing using, uh, you know, color tuning and dimming and, you know, and uh, waking up in, um, waking up people in uh, hospitals with, uh, uh, with babies, they woke them up with the light instead of shaking them awake. And then they got rid of the visitors by dimming the lights. And this was very helpful, right? They dim the lights. Oh, it's time to go. (laughs) So, but there's like this competing scenario, there's people out there that come on the show. Hey, it's so fantastic. Everyone's going to be able to control their own lighting. They're going to be able to tune it, not tune it, dim it, get rid of it, turn it off, whatever. And then we talk to scientists say, well, you know, hey, people really need this kind of light during the day. Um, what's your position on that? Should people be, like, should we be dictating to people the light level they need? Or is there some place in between this that uh, we can find, you know, like there's actually... They're not competing. I think they're competing, but to me, is there a way out of that trap? Well, you know, the way I see it, I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Um, Yeah, I think a little bit of both, actually, is the way to go. I think what we try to stress on the website is being able to teach every person, um, so people who have the ability to change their lighting in a space, um, teach them why it's important to have bright light during the day and dimmer at night, but giving them, you know, sometimes you don't want to, you wouldn't want to manually go change your light throughout the day. So having that um, automatic schedule that gives you the bright in the day um, and dimmer at night, but then being able to override it if you need more lighting to read or um, something like that. So I think they could work together in that aspect. Um, We've done some projects where we have uh, the schedule of CS lighting in the space and give either teachers or healthcare providers, the manual override, um, you know, if they're giving a, if they're doing a, an examination on a patient, for example. Um, so I think, I think being able to work together in that um, would be a really good way to move forward. And, and I'll add to what Allison is saying is, I really think that the future of lighting is gonna be just like precision medicine. It is gonna be individualized because we all have different needs, right? But what you're gonna need is that, in that app that you can control the light, that app is also telling you what kind of light you need, mm-hmm. right? It's saying, hey, your light is too dim right now. Try to get bright light. And then, or try to go outdoors or try to do something. So if you have that in an app based on your own schedule, because my schedule is different than yours. So for me to try to do, you know, we we have worked with Boeing a lot, right? We did the lighting of the 787 
And they, they have come back a lot of times saying, well, can we try to figure out a light to minimize jet lag and so on? And the most difficult thing to do that inside an airplane is everybody coming into an airplane have a different circadian phase. Mm. Some people may come, you know, they will board the plane in New York, but they came from Montana, they came from San Francisco, they came from the Asia, they came from, you know, you just don't know. So it would be very hard to have one lighting in the entire airplane that would be good for everybody. So that's why you need the personal treatment. So if I can have my cubicle where I have my sensor, I talk to my app, my app changes my lighting based on what I need, I think we'll have both worlds. That's on the sophisticated side. On the simple and more practical side is what Allison said. Give people the knowledge. Knowledge is power, right? If I know that that's what I need, I'm going to pay attention to it. It's like diet. It's the same thing. You know, there's some you need, it's up to you to decide whether you want to do it or not. So I think it's going to be more individualized in the future. That's my Very prediction. Good. I've got some website questions that I definitely want to dive into, but I got to ask one more thing on the brightness side of it. So I was in my car the other day and I, and I was reading a document and I was like, oh, this is nice lighting. Let me check out the foot candles. It was 240. And then I was in, you know, with the exterior light coming in, but it was nice. And then I come in my office and I'm at 45. So do you think at some point the IES is going to have to, or the industry is going to have to say, uh, change foot candle levels or get rid of requirements? Or how's that argument going to go? Or where are we going to tell people they need to be in terms of light output, light levels? First of all, we're going to have to stop measuring horizontal foot candles. Who cares about horizontal mm -hmm. foot candles, right? <laughs> That's the thing. That, so I yep. think the IES can start changing by doing that, okay? Um, and, and, and I do think we have to give ranges. Nobody really walks around like this. No. <laughs> Actually, the only successful application I had was my poor Alzheimer's patients because, yes. because you know, they, they sure. can, that's the only one that you do want to measure here because yes, that's what sure. they're But nobody, it's, it's, we're vertical species. We're looking for vertical brightness. Why are we measuring horizontal foot cans? Yeah, we used to read black font on a white paper. We don't do that anymore. And if we have to do it, just put on a task light. We're done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that that's, that, that is the first thing that, that, that it's going to be changed. And then I think it has to be on a range. And again, you know, we do a lot of work here. There's so much individual differences in how even people respond to light. You, you measure acute meltdown expression from a hundred people same light levels, same spectrum, same duration, same stimulus. Some people are going to suppress 20%. Some people are going to suppress 80%. There's huge individual differences in how people respond to light. So we can't just say if it's, you know, 201 is good, but if it's 199, it's not good. I mean, we, 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 we don't need that level of precision because that's not how we work hmm. so i think we're going to have more ranges and get rid of the horizontal foot candles okay i have a dangerous question i you can you can dodge it Dr. yeah you can dodge it dr <laughs> figaro and you can go over to allison um but yeah let's try allison on this one okay so we'll just throw it out there and then you can you can fill in if there's any gaps at the end uh dr figaro so 
curious. We talked about Sweden, right? And Sweden's a very dark country in the winter. Um, it gets, you go, the sun goes down at three o'clock and do stuff like that, right? Um, is there usefulness in looking at um, origins and race when looking at lighting? Like, do people of color, are they more affected in northern environments than, than um, Caucasians would be? Um, you know, the blue eye versus brown eye situation, the light skin situation. I've read different articles saying that, you know, scientists claiming that light skin doesn't even come from, you know, northern climates, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, just anecdotally. Um, but is there usefulness in, in looking at uh, categories of humans? Say, let's not say the word, the, the R word, Allison or uh, Dr. Figueroa. Um, is there usefulness there? I think from what I know about the Sweden project um, is that looking at people who grew up in Sweden and have lived there their whole lives um, are able to adapt to it a bit more than somebody who would just go there and maybe live there for a year or two, um, where lighting could be really useful to um, keep them in sync with their uh, their biological clock. Um, so I think I think Mariana would probably be able to answer that a little bit better um, since she's been more involved in that project. But that's kind of my understanding is um, if you, you, you have to look, you know, people nowadays move all around. You can start in New York and then move to Europe if you want to. Um, it's, uh, you know, so looking at that could be interesting, but in uh, looking at people who have been in the same place their whole lives and kind of the difference in that. So it's kind of, it would be an interesting thing to look at, um, but not, you know, I think it would be pretty difficult um, cause you'd have to really know where somebody grew up, what has, um, have they grown up in an, an environment that's really dark in the winter and really bright in the summers? Have they been able to adapt to that? Um, or had they recently moved there? So I think there's kind of a broad range in that, in my opinion. Okay. I'll add to what Allison said. So, um, she's correct that, um, there seems to be a genetic adaptation. So if you're born and raised in high latitudes, um, you tend to adapt to those big changes in, in you know, photo periods. Um, but I think that there has been some work done. If you talk about, for example, African-Americans that have dark skin, they definitely have more issues with things like vitamin D um, because they do need higher amounts of sunlight on the skin you don't have vitamin D at higher latitudes in winter months, for example. So they tend to have more issues with vitamin D. In terms of circadian response, there has been a few studies where they're looking at um, differences in responses and also differences in what they call, um, which is, um, you know, we all have an average of 24.2 hours if we don't have any light, dark, exposure, constant darkness, our circadian rhythm free runs with a period of 24.2 hours. It does seem like African-Americans, for example, have longer um, um, circadian free running. Um, and it also seems like they have a little bit less sensitivity to light. So, but I don't think this has been thoroughly studied. And I think it's, it, it is very important to understand because if you're designing lighting for different populations, now, I have observation here, which I, I'd love to do research on that. haven't done it yet, but we have done a lot of studies here, and we have a lot of um, Asians that come to the lab because a lot of times we're recruiting studies of Asian population here. 
Asians tend to be very, very, very low to light. They are not responders. So a lot of times I had to exclude Asians from the studies. We would give them bright light and they just wouldn't suppress melatonin or they wouldn't face shift. They just wouldn't respond. Haven't done a thorough analysis on that, but I tell you from our observations, there are differences. So that's actually a very good question is that people do respond differently. And I think understanding those individual differences, what I would call, because those are, and even if it's their group individuals, would be very interesting and important to know. Hmm. Like one thing, for example, we do know that women, for example, are more likely to have Alzheimer's disease. In fact, a lot of our studies, we do have a lot more women than we have men recruited to our studies just because you have more women with Alzheimer's. And one of the things is, yeah, they live longer. Sure, that could be a, a factor, but um, now there's a lot of work being done looking at um, women and changes during menopause with um, hormones. And there's an association between, you know, reduction in estrogen and increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. So all of these things I think are really important. And that's where I think the research in the future will gonna go, is really understanding those individual differences. Why is it that some people develop seasonal affective disorder during winter months and others don't? What is it about the people that develop? What are the reasons why, they, is that because they're less sensitive to light? Um, so I think those are, to me, this is where the research is going to go in the future. And I think this, and, and that's where lighting can really help with the lighting we have right now, because now we can do the individual lights, right? Now we can tell people, do this, do that. You know, if you're this, here's what we recommend. So we, we're starting to get to a point where the technology allows us to implement those solutions, which I think is really exciting. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So, so. Uh, it, it's it, it, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, that could be a whole podcast, I think. Uh, I know. <laughs> Craigie, let's unpack this website a little yeah. bit. So the website. So first of all, before I get some, I'm going to have some few questions on it, but I want to preface it by thanking you guys for doing it because we've talked to how many people, Mike, on this topic, and nobody gives us the, uh, any definition of of what what to do. They just say, "Ah, oh, just do it." You know, people say, "Follow the sun." Well, what does that mean? Tell me what light levels I need. What do I need to do? So until now, we haven't actually seen anything. So thank you. I know it's initial, but we appreciate it. The industry appreciates it. For sure. Um, one thing I was asking. So right away when you start clicking through it, it tells you to pick a desired CS goal of either 0.3 or 0.4. Explain what CS means and, and how we should factor that in. Yeah, so um, I can start on that. Um, with a lot of the research we've done at the LRC, um, on how people respond to light. We've been able to develop a few metrics that we've used to be able to quantify um, the impact. So starting with the CLA or the circadian light uh, metric, it's the irradiance weighted by the spectral, uh, the spectral sensitivity of the photoreceptors in, um, in our eyes that stimulate the response of the biological clock in the brain. Um, and that's based on nocturnal melatonin suppression. Um, so then from there, you translate that into the CS metric, which is what we use in our designs um, to kind of, you know, better, uh, better understanding of translation of this um, into a relative scale. So the uh, point one is the threshold for circadian activation. And we say that you want above a point three in the daytime. 
Um, and that's so you want that robust schedule. You want the brighter um, or the light that that corresponds to a point three or above in the day and below a point one at night. And to kind of answer your question a little bit more, so what are the factors that go into saying something's a point three CS? So um, kind of what we talked about a lot is the brightness of the light, um, but also the spectra um, has an impact on that as well. So the combination of all the wavelengths that are in the uh, the light source um, have an impact of it. So some uh, have a response for the circadian system as a cool versus a warm. So they're weighted slightly different depending on um, the combination of, of spectra in it. Um, so that's that's where we get that in the design. So when we say uh, you have to target a certain vertical luminance or the light at the eye, that's based on the spectra that you're using in the in the design. Um, so that's kind of the basis for what we do is um, you know giving people that criteria of you want a point above a point three during the day and um, below the point one. Um, so that's you know that's where you're getting that range. But how you get there is slightly different based on um, you know how the light's distributed, how much you need at the eye, etc. So that's that's what we've been doing for our designs. Yeah, and and just to add to what what Allison, so a point one, uh, it's equivalent to uh, ten percent melatonin expression, which would be below threshold. And the reason why we're using ten percent is because you have a lot of assay variability when you do the melatonin studies. Um, so you really can't. The assumption is below ten percent is it's ineffective for the circadian system. Okay, above seventy percent, it's close to saturation. So we're picking something around 0.3 to go back to our issue that we talked a little bit before is ideally you want to have 0.7 because the more the merrier, but then it becomes probably too bright, probably too inefficient. So we're picking something in the middle, which would be equivalent to 30%. So what it's saying is that light source of that particular spectra would suppress your melatonin levels by 30% if you were exposed to it for one hour at night. So it really is a way of saying, this is how your biological clock will respond to that light, okay? So we get a lot of questions. Well, melatonin is only during the nighttime, and then you are um, assuming that it's gonna work during the day when you don't have melatonin production. Correct. And the reason is we have no reason to believe that between day and night, the way your biological clock responds to light in terms of amount and spectrum is going to change. So it's it's sort of a surrogate metric in a way. And the reason why we use melatonin suppression, because that's how we can measure. You, you can't measure that during the day. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's just a way to give you an idea of how effective that light is at activating the biological clock at one point in time and and it gives you that sort of idea so that's why we're using that it's because it's based on a response by the biological clock and it's assuming that we sort of know how the photoreceptors in the eye are combining the signals from that light source and sending that signal to the clock in the brain hmm. Good. And so I'll also you add have to that as well. Okay. Yeah, oh, so sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, Alison. Um, just adding to that as well. Um, we, from what Mariana was saying earlier, is um, our biological clocks run longer than the 24 hour 
day. Um, so we want to actually get it back in sync. Um, so we want to you know, wake up and go to bed at the same time. So actually getting that bright light exposure the, you know, above a 0.3 during that will um, actually reset your biological clock. And, um, but if you got it too far into the evening, it'll actually continue to delay um, your, your system and the melatonin um, from being, you know, starting to be released and tell you it's time for bed. Um, so it's just another point as well. The, uh, so I actually ran a couple scenarios on the on the website yesterday and I, I realized that i probably need a couple hours to dig into it and come to understand it so how do we deal with um i don't know if this was addressed there but how do we deal with the shift workers and are we is there is this system for people that are primarily working a nine to five or is there um a setting on the software that says you know hey th this this is a shift from this time to this time and that time to that time is there anything and you know, you're regularly working this shift, you're doing four days on, six days off. You know what I'm saying? Is there something like that for for those shift workers or is this primarily for the nine to five? No, that's uh, that's a very good point. Um, we try to talk a lot about that in the background um, and kind of dive a little bit more into that of what the schedule should be if um, you're somebody who works. Um, you can break it down into eight hour shifts or 12 hour shifts. Um, are you a, a morning or a nighttime? Um, they can even toggle between the two. Um, so again, it, you know, it's very personal to the, the user. Um, on the application side, you have to, uh, you know, it's more the lighting for the, the whole facility. So that's why it's um, a little more just, it's still a 24 hour schedule and we try to accommodate for the people who are working day and night. Um, but yeah, you wanna really, you do wanna account for that. You don't wanna, um, the typical lighting in these facilities are, um, you know, too bright at night. So we're trying to show you still want to be alert and be able to perform your job, but how can you do that um, without disrupting your circadian system? Uh, so we try to we try to talk about that a lot um, in in that background again, um, and and in the application side, we're giving the kind of the broader picture. Yeah, a couple and of with things. Doctor Figueroa, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Ask the question. Yeah, I was just going to ask with those applications. So you have you have different room types within, and are you ever going to get to the point where somebody can design their specific room on this site and say, "This is the size of my room. This is a, what I have to look at." I know that gets to be intense, so that's why I ask. Yeah, we had we had looked into that a little bit um, when we're. It's something we're actually currently developing and seeing if that is something we can do. Um, you know, I think it'll be an extension in the future on the current website, um, because right now the applications are to give you a sense of if I have a luminaire about this, um, this distribution, how does it perform um, in my circadian design? So, you know, giving people the tools to do it on their own if they have the software to look at it. Um, but yeah, I think it would be really helpful to kind of connect those dots there and give people that, that tool to do it. Um, so hopefully in the future we can. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, so, um, you go ahead, Dr. Figaro. No, I was going to say, I was just going to finish up the, 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 the shift work part. Um, this is actually a very controversial area in terms mm -hmm. of the shift work. And that's why obviously everybody is focusing on the daytime environments because that's pretty straightforward. Um, in fact, they had the, you know, the, the, 
UL24480, which is what Mark Ray, the task force that Mark Ray uh, uh, chaired. And, and the whole thing is daytime environments. We, you know, I was part of that. And we specifically avoided talking about shift work. I'm also on the Light and Health Committee. And we're specifically avoiding talking about shift work because it's a very different um, situation. Personally, if you ask me, um, I, with what I know of the negative effects of suppressing melatonin at night and disrupting the circadian system, if this, this is a rotating shift work that's going to work two or three nights a week and then be off and then work again two or three nights, uh, these are really daytime people struggling to stay awake at night. Okay. And what you need to do is you need to try to minimize that struggle to stay awake at night without affecting their circadian system without disrupting their circadian system even further. So I don't see giving them bright light or giving them blue light in the middle of the night to keep them alert, even though bright light and blue light will keep them alert um, because there's a chance of suppressing melatonin and disrupting their clock with that bright or blue light. So the way we've been working with is with the red light, which does not suppress melatonin, but can have a very strong alerting effect. And in fact, we just got a paper published uh, last week, accepted for publication, where we're reporting on results we did in a field study with day shift and night shift workers, where we're giving them um, a dim white, which was a control light on glasses, a blue light and a red light. And we did see that the red light does have some improvement in reaction times. Um, help them sleep better at night when they get the red light. Um, so the key is the red light would be like caffeine or a cup of coffee. So you keep them alert and awake without changing their circadian phase, which is really right now it's the best you can do with shift work. I, so. I know I know why you want to avoid um, talking about shift work a lot because I think the the answer is 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 pretty rudimentary i mean humans are not a nocturnal species nope we I, are fighting our our, nat, our natural behavior it's shift work is bad no matter how you look sure. at it it's it's just bad for health in fact you know that in um denmark is considered a health hazard and people working shift work get paid more because i'm not surprised it's a health hazard. It's, you know, it, it, it is bad. We shouldn't be doing it, but yet you have hospitals, you have firefighters, you have police officers. It's a 24-hour society. You know, it's so, interesting. It, it, it's interesting, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, that would have been claimed as progress. So this idea that stores are open longer and things are available more, people would have been claiming this as human progress. And now we're looking at it many years later from a lot of different angles, not just lighting, but saying, hey, is, are we really, especially the lockdown has put this into, um, yeah. into perspective for people. Like, do you really need a 24-hour Walmart? Is that something we really need? You know, 24-hour really dollar stores? restaurants open 24 hours do we really need come on we we can stop at midnight or whatever you know sure. I, mean, I know the kids are going to complain but you know i agree with you i think hospitals there's nothing you can do firefighters you know you know emergency responders there's not much you can do about that 
But interesting enough, firefighters have, uh, they tend to have 24 hour shifts and they actually sleep, right? I mean, sure. they, they do have naps and they sleep if, if there's no emergency and so on. So I think the other thing is start looking at shift. How, how is it? What is the best shift combination? Um, and you know, a lot of people talking about naps during work and all that stuff. So there are some ways of mitigating, but I completely agree with you. It's it's a tough thing. There's no solution for that. The it's my 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 uh, my kids have. This is gross. I hate it. But my uh, somehow I got talked into it. My kids have two pet rats. Okay. <laughs> and they, they run are, at night. Okay. Yeah. So so no. Hang on. We got this whole booklet on caring for these. They're called fancy rats. Okay, so they're super cute. They can do tricks. They're smart like dogs, actually. They're 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 much smarter than hamsters. Okay, let's put it that way. You can do a lot with rats, as I've learned, unfortunately. Okay, <laughs> but um, what's interesting is we got this whole pamphlet on caring for rats, and rats don't want to be woken up during the day. They're a nocturnal species, and this was like very clearly pointed out in this literature that you know the don't after dinner go play with your rats don't play with them during the day they're going to want to sleep then or whatever it was right yeah and i i to me it's like it's so crazy that humans don't see themselves as a die as a diurnal as a diurnal species a species that's awake during the day it's so fundamentally basic to our understanding of biology you know like the first thing you learn when you study biology is that there are species that are, are awake during the day and there are species that are awake during that's like the first thing you teach everybody right so what what i find is like the whole idea of the 24-hour society if we said you know hey you know what we actually don't need to live like this there's no reason to live like this Many of the people who are being forced to live like this are not being paid the kind of wages they deserve for working in a Walmart from, you know, 12 midnight till six in the morning or whatever. If we just said we're going back to the way it was in 1976 and stores are open from this time to this time and they shut and we're closed on Sundays, say, for example, you wouldn't need as many emergency responders working right. at night. Because you wouldn't have as much stuff going on at night. The highways wouldn't be as busy. The roads wouldn't be as congested. People wouldn't be dying, you know, be out uh, getting drunk at three in the morning, beating each other up, which is a lot of the calls. So, that's you know, I, I don't think we need to live like this. So that's a, that's a whole other topic. Um, but the other thing I wanted to ask you. So, and I know Greg has a few more questions, but the length of time for recovery from a circadian problem, right? So you look at, you know, hey, you're overweight. Say, let's say somebody's overweight. They weigh, they're 50 pounds overweight. Well, they can't, it's not like a strep throat. You can take um, some antibiotics and a week later you feel better and two weeks later you're, you're good. Um, you know, it's one of those things. You're going to have to change your lifestyle. You're going to have to live a certain way. You're going to have to, and this is going to take a year or two years for you to recover and for your cholesterol to go down, your arteries to become unclogged and all the good things that happen when you live a healthy life with a diet, exercise, sleep and water and whatever else, rest and nature and all the things that lead to wellness. Um, how long does it take for somebody's body to recover from a circadian related problem or illness? Well, I mean, it, it really depends on how, what you're doing to it. So you think about jet lag. Right, you think about when you travel to China or whatever. The, the the usual that people say is you shift your clock an hour a day. Okay, when you when you travel multiple time zones. So if you're if you're 
if you're phase shifting seven, eight hours, it should take you seven, eight days to recover. Okay. Um, we have done some work with actually animals where we put the animals on a disrupted schedule, then we bring them back. And we are seeing that within four to eight weeks, we do see them going back to what they were, but never the same. It's very interesting. The amplitude of some of their, their hormones, it's actually reduced. So same thing with shift workers. So if you look at the melatonin levels in shift workers, it's actually reduced compared to day shift workers. Now, the question is, if they stop doing shift work, will they ever go back to that higher levels? And how long does it take? You know, nobody has really looked at, at least as far as I know, have followed um, people like that to, to um, see or to check how long does it take to go back to normal or whether you even really go back to where you were. What I know from, from the cancer, uh, the relationship between a, a shift worker and breast cancer risk is that they, um, you, you see a negative impact after working 20 to 30 years on the shift. So if you do five years, you can probably go back and not have as much of a, of a problem. But if you do 20 years, then you're at higher risk, which may be that you have a permanent damage in a way. Hmm. Um, but that is a good question. And a lot of the work that's been done is more with animals, which is a little bit hard to translate because animals have a much, much shorter lifespan than we do. Um, but I think that nobody has looked at epidemiologically follow people like that. Um, but for phase shifting and re-entraining your circadian clock, it's a little bit faster. Um, but the problem is you have your biological clock, then you have clocks all over your body. So, for example, the digestive system is the one that takes longer. So you have to re-entrain all your peripheral clocks so that you're back to synchrony and so on. So it can take days just by regular re-entrainment for multiple time zones that you're traveling. This was what makes me doubt the ability for humans to create artificial or electric intelligence. There's just way more going on in our brains than like, like I, oh, I'm going to decide to digest my food now. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. One more question. I got one more because this is my own curiosity. We're I've read on about the website. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I read an article. I read an article, a bunch of articles saying that teenagers should be allowed to sleep in. And to sleep till 11, 12 o'clock. And this is normal and natural. And it's always been this way. Okay. First of all, I seriously doubt those claims that, you know, that somehow one age group of humans would naturally want to sleep in uh, in the tribe and be allowed to sleep in and not have to, you know, whatever fish or pack up the teepee or whatever it is that they were doing back thousands of years ago. Um, from a lighting perspective, does that research make sense to you that teenagers should be allowed, that school should start at one o'clock in the afternoon and teenagers should be allowed to sleep later in the day? Well, um, there's a lot of uh, campaign for that. Um, and there is science behind um, the, the, the knowledge that um, when you are going from pre-puberty to post-puberty, you tend to become delayed. Um, and you also, apparently what happens is you accumulate sleep pressure slower. So 
you fall asleep at night when your biological clock shifts from daytime to nighttime and when you have very high sleep pressure because you've been awake for many hours and that's when you kind of crash okay so what happens with teenage well with teenagers is they they first of all their biological clock switches from day to night later and they accumulate sleep pressure slower so that crash occurs later so they can't really fall asleep earlier now can you change that with light sure you can bring the biological clock to an earlier time by giving them morning light reducing evening light and that helps with at least with the part on the biological clock you probably can't change the sleep pressure part with light but you can phase shift the clock to help fall asleep faster okay so theoretically from from the science yes the kids are having a hard time waking up at six in the morning because six in the morning it's middle of the night for them because they couldn't fall asleep before two in the morning okay so so that is and it's interesting enough when they grow up they seem to grow out of that now why do they grow out of that is it just a physiological thing no it's also a behavioral thing because now you graduated from college you have a job by god you gotta wake up and be at work at eight o'clock in the morning you have to do that every day what happens you start getting the light in the morning and you start then helping your biological clock to bring it to an earlier time but what's messing things up nowadays it's your self-luminous displays in the evening mm -hmm. it's having that ipad right in front of your eye that it's now giving that light that delays the clock and there's also some data that we have and others have that the teenagers are more sensitive to that evening light for delaying the clock so there's also a change in sensitivity um, meaning even there's some studies now showing that five six seven year olds are even more sensitive than teenagers so it's kind of like a perfect storm mm -hmm. it's a behavioral as well as some physiological changes so theoretically yes if you shift everything to adapt to their biological clock they probably will be more alert in class if classes starts at 11 instead of at 7. But you can try to work out so that you have a lighting that helps them become earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but you really need to have the control of that 24-hour lighting. So in other words, it's not just lighting at one point during the day. It's really the entire day that you make sure you increase the light in the morning, decrease in the evening to maintain that on that maintain, maintain them on that earlier schedule. Mm. I could keep going here forever on this one, but... Yeah, we'll have to do that again. So I want to ask a couple more things on the website, maybe really one more thing. But um, so once you input everything, now, you know, Mike is always deep thinking things. I'm thinking about how to sell this stuff. Sure. So <laughs> if I have a customer who says, I want some circadian friendly lighting, I go through and kind of figure out if it's one of those type of facilities. And I say, all right, you need this amount of light fixtures. How do you guys determine? I, I know it probably answers it on the website, uh, some of these questions, but and you have a few fixtures that you base it on. But how do you determine that it's an actual fixture that it's feasible? Because I did one that was downlight, and I don't know if I was reading it right, but it said initial lumen output need to be ninety six hundred lumens in a six inch downlight at four thousand Kelvin. I don't know of any that, I mean, there might be one or two, but there's not a lot in a six inch downlight. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just trying downlight. to make it, you know, practical to see how would then people in turn say, all right, 
this type of light gets up to that light level that you need and it's that color and, and it's dimmable and color tuning, whatever else. So that works for this application. How, how do we figure that out in the field? Yeah, well, so for the, the website, we really stress that these are example um, solutions. So there's so many components that go into it. It's not just pick this luminaire, pick this CCT. Um, it all has to do with the distribution of light again. Um, you know, downlights have different distributions. Um, you know, troffers have um, within all the troffer family, they have different distributions. So it's hard to really choose, um, just be able to use this and say, if I have a troffer at 4000 K, it'll reach the design. Um, so it's really the, the use of the website is to um, kind of be a template for people to say, I need to, you know, this component is important. It's important to know um, that if I have a troffer with this similar distribution, um, if it has the same exact SPD, um, which is not the case typically, um, but, you know, you have it in this specific design, a certain room size, it'll, um, it'll work this certain way. So um, it's kind of, if you have the ability, so it depends on who you're trying to sell it to. Is it a designer who has lighting software where they can put in the um, lighting IES files and get a sense of how bright the space will be? Can you get the SPD from the manufacturer um, and put that? So that's where uh, the LRCCS calculator is helpful, where if you have that software that says, I'm getting, 300 lux at the eye, um, a person who's sitting in this location and plugging in the SPD that your um, manufacturer gives you. What is the CS I'm getting? So it's, um, you know, it's difficult because you it's used as a tool um, in that regard. You can't just say um, I can use I have this exact room with this exact furniture layout, same reflectances. So um, within the application, we do try to outline too the assumptions we made. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we don't necessarily count for light loss factor, but you that's something important to know if, um, you know, five or 10 years down the line, is your light going to depreciate and not get as much light out? So those kind of things, um, you know, just outlining all the assumptions we made for you to say, okay, like it's important to know um, my specific SPD or my specific distribution, how that's getting light to the eye. So um, I don't know if that's helpful. Uh, and answers your question, but that's that's the approach we took with the website. So, can I ask you a question? How do you do it now? Me or uh, we, let's go, Craig. You can ask both of us. Um, <laughs> right now, we don't get the request, so nobody's ever asked us about. I mean, I've I've had I've never had the request of somebody saying, "Give me healthy lighting." Um, no, but so. even with horizontal foot candles, how how do you okay, do it? So what I came up with my own metric called the uh, unified light value okay and uh what it was was i noticed back in the when people were upgrading from 400 watt metal halide to which is a conical shaped usually aluminum reflector so that's you sometimes they had glass or, or plastic or polycarbonate ones but most of the time you would have in a high bay lighting application you would have a conical um uh aluminum reflector around a 400 watt bulb and it would be at the factory setting which was 50 percent down from there's like a adjustableness that you can adjust the reflector up and down what i noticed was that when you put in high bay fluorescence you actually reduced the horror this is 2005 maybe you actually reduced the horizontal foot candles and massively increased the vertical foot candles just because of the way a fluorescent tube would spread so what you would look at you'd walk into a factory say and you'd see these like 
the flashlight effect is what I called it. You'd see these cones like this on the wall where light would go like this and there'd be these dark patches in between, right? And it had like this, this flashlight effect or cave effect. So what I noticed is that when we put in high bay fluorescence, either T8 or T5 or whatever, especially when we put in ones that at about 20 feet that had like a slightly curved bottom to it, so the lights were kind of spread out like this, you would have this line of light across the entire factory and it would go all the way around. And so I'd pull out the foot candle meter and people would say, wow, it's way brighter in here. Like it's so much brighter. It was actually less light. Like if you measured it the way the IES told you to measure it back then, you put it like this. And sometimes you'd have 50% less horizontal foot candles. And so I come ac came across this and I, then I would started putting the foot candle meter on the wall. And I realized is that what people wanted was very high vertical foot candles. That's what they wanted. Forklift drivers and people working in factories and most applications. Now you could have like some guy that maybe had an architect's desk or whatever and he wanted a lot of light right there. But everyone else wanted vertical foot candles not horizontal foot candles. And they also wanted the light to be as equal as possible so that you weren't going through these dark areas and light areas. And I noticed that forklift drivers and people that were rack pickers would report to me that the most important thing was the vertical foot candles and that the light was equally spread across the wall and like a wash effect. So whatever the light level was, it, wanted to, it needed to be uniform, right? So you wanted uniformity, so low differences between the amount of light, okay, as you go through that space vertically. And that's what improved visual acuity from the field, from the street, okay? So when I gave people that, they were extremely happy. Now, you had some ball breakers that would come out and say, well, you said we would have more light. See, there's less light. I would say, yeah, but everybody here reported that there's more, right? So we yeah, took that light that was here the 70 foot candles you had in this one spot where we're measuring and we, we, we rub that all over the room. So everyone's happier now. So you're probably doing good circadian effective light. Cause that's what you want. You want vertical and you want just general. You don't want to have point light sources. Yeah. Like I right? found that the, 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 the lack of uniformity, like big different in parking garages, especially you want to design a bad parking garage. Make it hot because all the fixtures you'd have these um, uh, ceiling mounted 12 by 12 lights with a metal halide or HPS light in it, and it would be 30 foot, 35 foot candles below the light, and then it would be three in between the two lights. And people were driving through this, it was very, very difficult to see from one end of the garage to the other. And so, what I would do is try to minimize the fluctuation in light level on the ground and on the walls. And when I did that, regardless as whether the minimum foot candles in the parking garage was nine or 4.6 or 11, people would report being able to see clearly because I think their eyes adjust and as they go down and they see better. So um, yeah, I mean, that research backs up all of my anecdotal experience from the field. And not only that though, but I did the office one where you had the single office with two people in it. And I did the open office one and it was basically what I would have done anyway. Like in terms of the, tr I always like troffers in offices. So I did that, I picked that fixture and I, I put them in and it was exactly what, you know, the layout I would have done. Although I found the tuning and the, the light, the light amounts to be interesting, the right light amount. But yeah, I think, I think a lot of lighting people that work on the streets of this business know what people want um, yeah. from their yeah. guts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you do it? That's all up here. I don't even, that's where the artificial intelligence, I don't think they can make it. 
because <laughs> I have no idea. Like I'll go into a factory and That's someone will hire you. That's What's why that? they hire you. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I'll go into a factory and I'll relay out somebody's lighting system, like a super complicated factory. I'll walk out in there and I'll break the space up into areas, like lighting areas. So I'll break it up into different kinds of lighting areas and I record where the fixtures are, how many fixtures they have, and da 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 And then I'll assign a new fixture based on that area with the goal to be to achieve to be maximum uniformity um, and uh, reducing horizontal foot candles and increasing vertical foot candles. And these spaces that are very function-based, warehousing, factories, um, general office spaces, stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I'm big on getting rid of is uh, pericube lenses and fluorescent troffers. I think that actually caused seasonal affective disorder epidemic in the late 90s. Everybody went through and put those little pericube lenses. I like know. there was a retrofit craze for a while. I know. I know. I know. I know. And you would see. You the screen, right? Yes. Yeah, the that's glare. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what caused that. There was almost an epidemic in the early 2000s or whatever of that. And I thought about it and I looked at these offices and I'm like, there's no vertical foot candles in here. Let's just get rid of all those paracube lenses and, and go back. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 my knowledge is from solving people's problems in the field, making people like their lighting system better. And Greg's the same way. And so I and, have a and the people do use photometric reports too. I mean, the general photometrics a lot of people in the industry use. And that's I've never looked more, at one in my problem. life, actually, but that's. <laughs> yeah. I was going to go with it. So, so the whole idea is, if you do say AGI or whatever. So your question is, how do I implement that, right? And it really is, if you already do your AGI, what we're telling you to do is get something. Get instead of having horizontal points on your AGI calculation, you need to have vertical points. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do your layout as you would have done it with your visual system, with how you normally do. Put your vertical points here. Calculate and see how much vertical illuminance you're getting. Throw that vertical illuminance into the CS calculation plus the SPD of the light source that you have. Calculate how much CS. If you're getting to that average CS of 0.3, you're good. If you're not, you have to go back and rearrange or change the distribution of the fixtures or add more fixtures and so on. And then again, calculate that vertical lumen. So right now, what I think would be different than what you're doing right now is you need to add that vertical point. And once you have that, you average that in your space. And then if you know where people are going to be sitting, if you know where people are going to, how the layout of the room is going to be, you want to add those points where people are going to be looking at. If you don't know, you just do a grid and you average it out. But this, this is the idea. So you can start with Allison's pattern, um, you know, with what she has, get fixtures that are kind of similar output and so on, because then you're going to get closer. But it is a, a sort of, a, you know, a back and forth until you get that value that you need. So, Allison Thayer, you've created a monster. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it might be a never-ending project, Allison. Yeah, so. no, like you've created a right. monster. <laughs> you have. She's been working on that for three years, and I've been working work on that for the rest of her life. There's so much we want to do. Yes. You know, one thing that we're now creating is, is kind of a, a standard observer room. So, in other words, 
you really have a room where it's the same for everything. And all you want to do is change the fixtures so you can start now comparing lighting distributions, mm. the fixed distribution. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you fix everything. Everything is the same. Now I'm putting a recessed down light or I'm putting a direct indirect mm. or I'm putting different types of direct indirect. So now within that room, I can look at the most effective distribution to give me that CS that I need to get. So that's one thing we're starting to develop now. So I think that there's a lot of pretty cool stuff that we can do that can be very useful for people. I, I agree. So, and, and you know what, you know what, what's interesting is that I, I want to know what the, I'm thinking of the trajectory of this. So, you know, Allison's not a software computer scientist developer. You know, she's a, a lighting dork. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> nope, you're right? exactly right. <laughs> she's taking the lighting knowledge and using these other, she's not a, a proficient in the other knowledge. And so you look at some, some things, you know, there's a, I think there's a baton pass from academia to the lighting industry at some point. And I think that involves the IES, you know, and them then, you know, with their manufacturing base members saying, now here's the, we're going to light this baton into a torch and hold it up. And this is how you do things, guys. Uh, how far are we from, you know, an IES LRC uh, panel or a technical member, uh, you're something like that to discuss this? How far away are you? Are already in talks with those guys? Now we we no we haven't talked to the IES about that. Um, we obviously I am in the light and health committee, but they're not looking at that uh, specifically. They're trying to get a, a you know recommended practice out. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 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 been a process uh, to try to do that, um, and I think that's why we end up doing things on our own because it is faster and it's more effective for us just to have that on the website freely available we don't make money out of that i mean arguably we lose money um but we think it's important it, it's got to be done and you know what i would love to see is uh, manufacturers pick that up put it on their own sites with their yeah. own designs and start using it um you know i do we really need to have an IS document to use it? Or why can't we just start using it instead of waiting for a document to come out? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because the IES is the leader of the business of lighting. That's why. You know, they're like the leaders of, of the business of lighting. And they're, they're very uh, strong uh, on education. And so they have to, like the way they have to look at is how do we formulate this? How do we put this into measurable uh, things that people can do into our ginormous handbook of ours that we measure by the weight of the pages or something, right? And how do we get the industry on board and that sort of thing? Um, there's no subversion going on. You're just, you're just saying this is how it's done. And I think that's fantastic to start because the pressure has to come. That there has to be an ask from the members of the IES and the manufacturers to the IES for guidance. And so these things take time. They, they take time. And, and um, you know, one of the regrets I have looking at, I have a 20-year career in lighting. From 2010 or 2012 or so to about 2018, the IES kind of lost the handle on the business a little bit. Like it was going so fast, like they're water skiing behind the industry, yeah. say, right? And the industry starts to go so fast, I can't stay out, can't stand up, right? Yeah, everybody felt that way. It was, uh, it was a big revolution in lighting, and I think we're all getting a grip on it now. And sure. you know, yeah. 
starting to get back on it, but you're absolutely right. It was uh, it was out of control for everybody, I think. Not just the IS. I think everybody was shocked with how fast that revolution came. Oh, for sure. And the and the and the destruction of brands in the lighting business. Nobody would have predicted that GE Sylvania and Philips would be changing their name. I mean yeah. amazing. Well, I mean arguably, arguably Philips, GE and Osram are not in lighting anymore. I know, it's right. Wild, eh? Wow. It's, so it's a, it's it's an amazing revolution. There's no question about it. And yet, you still have the designers and the people actually implementing and you know selling. And the, these people are still hungry for the information and hungry for not just necessarily connected and sophisticated systems, but really how do I just light a space? And now we have oh, we have the health part, we have the connected part, we have. So it is becoming a lot more complicated. There's no question about it. We need there. There needs to be, um, or there should, or there can be something where, um, you know. So we have a lot of people come and talk to us about healthy lighting, right? Or what uh, you know, and we 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 you know love when we're talking to say Dr. Mariana Figueroa, uh, Dr. Jennifer Veach, someone like this that's speaking, you know, to the research. Um, but we do need that IES guidance for the industry. It, 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 you know, I think that it's very, very important that they, um, that they, they get to this and the sooner, the better, because just for the, and I'm not worried about me, I'm worried about the consumers. I'm worried about people that, you know, they hear, oh, there's healthy lighting and this is how you do it. And then trust me, like guys like me and Greg and our employees, they, they swing through the trees with knives in their teeth, man. They want to sell stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, oh yeah. You know, so we want to be very careful as an industry that we don't um have a a phase where this doesn't work out the way we had planned, right? So absolutely completely agree. Completely agree. Greg, anything else? That's it for me. Wow. Dr. Mariana no Figueroa. Not <laughs> for now. I'm we gonna play around with it again. Yeah, we did well, but you know, that play with it. Um and, and you know, one of the things that we did, and I know that there's a lot of politics on the on the UL two four four eight no whatever four four eight zero, but the, the UL does have a guide on how to use it, which is very very useful. Um, and and I think the IES will come up with something similar too, because I do agree with you. We we do need guidance on how to implement that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because otherwise everybody's going to come up with their own way of doing it and they're going to say their own way is better than, you know, somebody else's and so on. So I completely agree that there needs to have some guidance. And that was was why I really like to have participated in the UL task force. It was really a guidance document. And I think the, the IES now with the Light and Health Committee, which I'm part to, is coming up with more um, sort of a um, bigger document and more sort of dense document, but I think it will be helpful too. And those are just starting points. All these things are going to keep changing as we learn more. But I think there's a lot of things we can do and we can implement. So I'm glad that you guys are playing with it and are <laughs> actually looking at it because that's what we need. That's what we want. And give us feedback because if there's something that you say, you know, this is too hard, this is too complicated, this is too... Let us know because we want this to be interactive and going back and forth and we want it to be useful for you. Otherwise, there's no use. 
Um, so give us feedback. Let us know. Perfect. We will. Dr. Mariana Figueroa, Allison Thayer from the Lighting Research Center, thank you for being guests. I know I uh, always learn a lot from you, Dr. Figueroa, and really enjoyed you talking about your, the software. Uh, Allison, where can people find the software if they're, um, if they're interested in using it? Yeah, you can go to uh, the LRC website and you can do the backslash healthy living um, on that. So please take a look and, again, let us know feedback and what would be useful for you to... Um, you know, things that you might need or uh, that you're interested in. That would be really helpful. And folks, we'll put a link to that on our website as well. Uh, if you've made it this far, an hour and 18 minutes. Wow, that was a long one. Thank you for listening to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Thank you, guys. E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com, baby. Energyfocus.com. I got to get my beats right, Greg. <laughs> yeah, it was a long one, but you did good. You kept through the fire at the end. Their end focus lighting platform. The most cost effective way to make your lighting human centric or fr human friendly or, or circadian friendly. How about that term, Mike? We'll get the term down someday, but someday. they have it. It's a, it's a, in tube form. It's dimmable color tuning in an LED tube, meaning you can keep your existing fixture and make it uh, that way without any rewiring. Nice and easy. Looks good. Changes, does everything you want it to do. And it's affordable, which most of them aren't when you get to that level. So very nice solution from Energy Focus. You know what? This takes circadian and uh, whatever you call it, uh, um, uh, circadian friendly light entrainment, all that kind of stuff, takes it to the people, gives it to them at a good price. Because you eliminate the cost of the fixture, the labor to remove the fixture, boom, 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 boom. You're in there with this Energy Focus pro um, product and focus. Um, I'm going to do it in my office. So go to energyfocus.com. I'm going to sell it to my customers too, actually. Go to energyfocus.com. Check, check out the end focus course. Member of National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Where else would they be? That's where you belong. That's where you belong. If you're a lighting distributor, what are you waiting for? Greg's not waiting. He pays his dues on time every year. So does all sure, of our people. Get the hat Come on, on man. We're, we're coming in hot. We're coming out hot. We're going to have another event. At some, as soon as they open the doors, the convention's back on. So check it out, nail.org. Got a lot of things going on there. And of course, Dr. Figuero, my hat's off to you. Always a pleasure to, to speak with you. It was very nice to meet Allison Thayer as well. The great software, Greg. Man, can't believe they came out with that. Such, such a nice thing to the industry. It's a great, and it'll be an ongoing project, and I'm glad they're taking on and not me. But thank you. Yeah, there you go. I like, to, I like to do what I'm told at the end of the day. And to you, the listener, always grateful, Greg and I are, for you. So... Thanks for making it to the end with us. Bye for now. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.